0: All right, guys, welcome back to the 64th installment of the Playing the Win podcast. Today, I'm joined with Steve Sims. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well, thank you. Excellent. I have uh, a whole bunch of notes here that I want to go over with you. And you are, in my estimation, probably one of the most underrated guys out there um, (laughs) that publishes content, short videos, YouTube. Like, your YouTube channel is very small, but it's one of the ones that when something shows up in my feed... I'll just kick back sometimes, throw on the console, and something will come in the feed. It's like, oh, Steve's got something to say, and it's a five-minute, powerful talk, and I found it very useful. So I wanted to bring you on today and and show you to my audience. Um, I'm going to kind of summarize how I came to know you, and then I want you to sort of do your Batman origin story, because, I mean, you came from very humble beginnings as a bricklayer in East London, and you've done quite a few interesting things, so... The last time I saw you, and uh, we were talking about this before I went live, was I was in Napa Valley at an event that our mutual friend Jason Gaynard puts on called Mastermind Talks. And mm-hmm. we were sitting at a fireside chat. And this was actually one of the catalysts that got me motivated to run this YouTube channel. I don't know if you remember, but, after well, let me tell you. Tell these guys a story. So we're sitting there in front of Philip McKernan, and if you don't know who he is, you can look him up. Again, another underrated guy that doesn't get a lot of views, but has a powerful message. And um, I can't remember if you were sitting beside me or across from me, but um, McKernan said something that that made me well up. Like I just started bawling like a little bitch, basically. And it was and it was because I was hung up on what I was doing with YouTube, and I had just started this uh, channel. It was probably within a year of me just starting this channel. It was May twenty fourth. 2014, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And I was like, I got to do something different. I can't stand my business. I feel like I got to do something. And we were talking about, um, I guess, leaning into your gift. You know, that's McKernan's thing. Yep. Still is probably. Anyway, so it... It just became painfully obvious that I needed to kind of lean into that a little bit more. And that's how I kind of mashed up the ideas of um, basically starting it out with hanging out with entrepreneurs and their success rides and kind of mashing up those two things. Idea sex, like James Altucher talks about, and then turn it into something. And it's pivoted into so much more, you know, for me since then. Um, now... Your story is well. I'll let you tell it, but I mean, you started out as a bricklayer in East London, uh, and you kind of lied your way into a stock market job. Ended up in Hong Kong, got fired very quickly. Did ban- like tell the story because I mean, you do it so much better than I do.
1: I don't think the word lie. I think I was just creative with the truth.
0: Okay, you got um, some truth, yeah.
1: <laughs> I think my my name, my home address, and possibly my birthday. I wouldn't even guarantee that were accurate on the resume. Um, but yeah, I was a, I was a bricklayer from East London. And I remember one day, and if anyone's watching this, you know, they, they, they already can see that I'm a 250 pound of biker, simple as that always have been, always will be. Um, and I used to go down to the local pub with all the other bikers. And I remember being in that room and realizing that everyone in that room was a broke ass biker. And I realized that, you're always a combination of the room that you are in. So that's me. I'm a broadcast. ass bike. As long as I stay in this room, that is what I am. So I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to be something better. I want. And this was in the 80s where we had Wall Street, the movie, and all these And there was all this opulence being talked about and Rolex. And, of course, we didn't have Instagram to show us how, you know, inadequate our life was back then. But, you know, we were watching... James Bond and we were watching uh, Wall Street and all of these movies and all of these faraway destinations that I knew I would never visit and never naturally be around as long as I stayed in that room. So I tried to change the room I was in and it led me on a journey of discomfort, um, discouragement, uh, being fired. And a friend of mine once uh, that got a job in a, a banking organization, he actually said to me, they're doing a big hiring platform for Hong Kong. Um, come on in, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you. You know, they'll they'll uh, train you up and then you could possibly get a apprentice stockbroking position in Hong Kong in the new office. So I turned up, there were about 200 people sitting in this room and they literally just grabbed like 60 of us and gave us the job to go to... And in my resume, I wanted it to be funny because I had nothing to be in there. I even wrote in there a paragraph about how I was related to the Queen of England. <laughs> <laughs> this, I wanted you to read this resume and realize it was bollocks, but just kind of smile and go, well, look, the, guy, the guy made me laugh. I'll give him a shot. That's what I was going for. So it was greater fiction than Harry Potter. They didn't read it. They literally didn't read it. They literally looked around. Obviously, there had been some kind of connection with me and him, so they just let me through the net. 60 of us went over to Hong Kong. 60 of us did orientation in the Shangri-La on the Monday. And on the Tuesday, I was fired. So they they realized I had not, but now I'm in Hong Kong.
0: What did they fire you, fire you for? Like, what did they pick up on when they said, right, this guy's not a good fit?
1: Oh, uh, Yeah, you know, where, where do you, the funny thing was, was, we were in the Shangri-La, or, uh, Shangri-La hotel for orientation on Hong Kong Island, and then on the Tuesday we were taken into uh, um, uh, Victoria Harbour for where their office was. And as I came into the reception, you had to get your badges. That was the first time we'd been in the office because mm-hmm. the day before we were in the conference room of the hotel. So you went in to get your credentials. They didn't give me my credentials they literally went um could you speak to so and so they're waiting for you in the boardroom so again 250 pound a biker i'm in there with a 99 suit on and i walk into this room and there's two guys that were smaller than me if they were combined and they're both looking at me and they know they're going to fire me because they've obviously done some checking they've looked at the resume they looked at the tests that I was doing the day before and realized I knew nothing. And they were like, um, we, we're just completing our file, Mr. Sims. Um, where is your Series 7 license? We can't seem to find it here. And I went, I don't have one of them. <laughs> and in England, you can get one that was an 11 that was similar to the American version of this this Series 7. And they went, oh, you, I forgot you're from England. You, you probably got the 11. Now, I don't have that either. And of course, they're both looking at me. They both know that they're firing me, but they're both looking at each other, going, "You tell him, no, you mm-hmm. tell him, no, you." And we're getting, <laughs> and in that moment, I just smiled because you knew it was happening, you knew it was coming, and everyone just started laughing. And the guy looked at me in the middle, of laughing. He went, "You know you're fired, don't you?" And I went, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> and then he went. What were you thinking? I said, I just wanted to try something. I never want to be the guy that doesn't try. It. And he said, Well, look, here's a little bit of good news. Because we got you over here, we have to, even though we fired you today, give you your three-month salary, and you get the apartment for three months. Okay. So I'm like, Yeah, that's, now the apartment. That's
0: that that was what got pretty- you in the nightclub business. And I want you guys yeah. to stick around because I mean the story's gonna get real good. Because I mean, he's the <laughs> kind of guy that. I mean, he runs parties for guys like Elton John. If you want to go down and see the Titanic, it's been arranged. You want to get on a stage with your favorite rock band? He can make it happen. So this is this is most definitely a plane to win story that definitely deserves a place on this uh, playlist. So you're in Hong Kong, and then yep. you kind of pivot to something else because you got to sort your life out from there.
1: You got to sort your life out. Uh, I tried loads of things, failed. Uh, so I became very educated on what I couldn't do. Um, ended up being in a nightclub one night and literally just thought. Like all entrepreneurs, this is it. This is it. This is my basement. Uh, I left a noble profession of being a masonry, of being a bricklayer, a proud industry. And now I'm just in the middle of a nightclub in Wan Chai trying to get drunk. And quite simply, that night, honestly, I wanted a fight. Uh, I was very depressed. I was very upset with my life. My wife, was still in England and I was lying to her that everything was going well because, of course, I was still getting paid. This is still um, the same
0: woman that you're with today.
1: Yeah, we met she when we were 16 that? and 17. Okay. So, you know, we right. we celebrate 37 years this year, I think. Right. Um, But um, literally, there was a, a bit of trouble inside the club and the, the lady asked me, would I sort it out? And I thought, why are you asking me? i got nothing to do with this pub. And she turned around and she said, well, you're big and ugly, you know, if you sort it out. I'll pay for your drinks. And she had me at that. So right. I went, all right. So I saw it. I became the doorman. Now, here's where a pivotal twist happens. Entrepreneurs, and we're basing it on the old Dr. Sean Stevenson statement. We look at things under two ways. Did it happen for us or did it happen to us? Now I'm on the front of a nightclub where my job description is to punch people. And I had the chance, like my other meatheads, to just avoid as many fights as I could and then go home with the tips and takings from the night. Or could I make this better for me? I suddenly realized I had an incredible pedestal to human psychology, to watch people interact with each other. You know, you've seen people, and, you know, me and you have been in a lot of the same circles. You know, people that are really wealthy, the way that they talk, handle themselves, walk around, interact. And then you've got those people that are pretending. You know, the guy that's bought a new watch and he's got his left sleeve rolled up just so you can notice his new watch. Mm. The rich guy couldn't give a shit. And I remember um, Giuseppe Ricci, the guy that owns the largest Ferrari dealership in Texas, said to me once, the guy that turns up to a Ferrari dealership in a suit on a Saturday can't afford one. The guy that turns up in shorts and sandals on a Tuesday, he's on his third. (laughs) So I suddenly got to see how people interacted. And then I started trying to have conversations with them. And the manager would see me not only protecting the front door, but now walking around the club only to the booths going, hey, guys, you having a good night. You know, what, what are you up to? And interacting with them. And almost doing his job. You yeah. know, when you're in a restaurant now and a manager asks, you're yeah, having a good night? Yeah. I was doing that because I wanted to have the conversation. And then I would get people saying to me, oh, are you going to that party? Or do you know about that nightclub? Or do you know about that concert? And I realized very early on, if I could be the solution to your problem, you didn't care what I looked like. So if I could get you into this club, if I could get you into the release of a new Cartier line, if I could get you into the unveiling of a new Mercedes or into an award show, I had your attention. For one, I'm going to charge you because if they don't pay, they don't pay attention. But my whole goal was a Trojan horse. I launched the world's largest concierge firm because I wanted to have a conversation with you the day after and ask you why you were successful and I wasn't. I wanted to get educated and that's what happened.
0: And then you turned into this uh, connector of people and that's where the Bluefish brand came from. I think it was kind of like a secret word to get into the clubs.
1: Yeah. I used to have these little stupid words. I used to like to have people smiling as they walked into an event. Mm. So I would always say like, okay, uh, tonight's event, it's at the dock at eight o'clock. When you see the doorman, your password is you've got to name one of the Teletubbies. You know, or you've got to you've got to name um, uh, a Big Bird's mate from Sesame Street, and so people would literally walk up. Guess, wasn't it? Yeah, so people would literally walk up to the doorman and go, "Snuffleupagus," and they go, "Oh, in you go." <laughs> now, here's the thing: look at you, Rich. The amount of people that walk into the club smiling and giggling because they've just said a silly word. Yeah. I had never any trouble in my party, and of course, more you imagine it's almost like you're pumping a drug into a party, Everyone that walks through the door now someone actually said this to me one day about that was my secret source, and as entrepreneurs, we usually don't know what we're good at until we're you know it's brought to our attention. but someone said to me they said we always love the front door, the inside front door of your clubs. Because the enthusiasm that bleeds through it is is contagious. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what they want about. If you ever go to a club or a bar and the door opens, everyone looks at the door, but no one's smiling. They kind of scope who's coming in. Is it a hot girl? Is it a threatening guy? You know, who who is it? You know, Mm -hmm. there's this this almost like um, aggressiveness to who's coming through the door. But in my events, everyone was always coming through the door smiling. And so they always loved it. I ended up throwing these events. I ended up working for, oh my God, anything you can think about the planet from the Macau Fashion Week, Milan, Paris, uh, New York, uh, when it was 7th on 6th and it was Brian Park in the the tents, the Grammys, the um, the, uh, Elton John's Oscar party, uh, the um, Palm Beach Art Fair, the Florida Boat Show, MTV Awards, Super Bowl. I've worked for the biggest, largest events in the planet. And I've ended up working on their marketing and branding as well. And that's why I've got Sims Media now. But uh, I worked on all of those only to be able to get into the rooms I needed to be. Because back then, we didn't have podcasts. Mm -hmm. You know, Back then, we didn't have Instagram. Back then, we didn't have YouTube channels. We didn't have any of the environments for us to be able to receive this information from. So I had to create a reason to be able to have a conversation with Elton John, Richard Branson, Jean-Paul Joria, you know, Elon Musk, you know, name them. I created experiences to be able to have that conversation. And then I used the information I got to make sure I was successful from it.
0: You said early on that one of the pivotal thinking, uh, I mean, one of the ideas that you said was that if you're not the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah.
1: Oh, Absolutely. So- absolutely.
0: So sorry, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. So yes, at that point, you like how how significant was that decision for you to put yourself in in smarter rooms as far as you leveling up, becoming this guy that you are today?
1: Uh, it's never changed. I actually race I race motorcycles now, um, and I'm a I'm a pretty good uh, racer. But every time I go to an event, I find people that are better than me. And I get into that group and I race against them Mm. and I lose every single race that I go into because I constantly up my game and I could go back to my people that I was racing against six months ago, four months ago, a year ago and nail them, floor them like they're not even on the same track, but that doesn't help me grow. And so every time I get into an environment, I look at the environment And I will look around and i go, okay, are these people superior to me? Mm -hmm. Are they smarter? Are they sharper? What do they bring to me that, that I don't have a different viewpoint, an argumentative opinion, anything that can help me change my perspective. And if it's not in the room, I've actually gone to events before and by lunchtime gone home because I've gone, this room doesn't push me.
0: Awesome. Now, um, putting yourself in rooms like that. So let's use the motorcycling analogy because I completely understand that I've ridden bikes. I have a chapter in my book on motorcycles. You know, those that follow me know exactly what I'm talking about. So we're definitely going to be talking about motorcycles on this podcast for sure. Now, when you're in a uh group because i mean basically what you do is you tie trade up right it's like okay you know you become the best in this series so it's like moving to the next one you're the worst in the group and you've got all these faster yep. riders riding a bike fast is scary it's a lot scarier than driving a car fast because you have a lot more grip around the corners with your contact patches when you lean a bike you don't have the same level of contact on the road so chasing down faster riders is going to be scary right yep can i can i break the slate can i get on the power this early? Is my lean angle right? Like you're you're doing all these things that you're not consciously thinking about because you're just used to riding a bike that way. The fear component of it is what I think holds a lot of people back. How do you deal with the fear of putting yourself in a room where there's people that are better than you, where you have to chase them down to get to their level? How do you deal with that?
1: I think fear, we all react to fear. Whether we like it or not, we react to fear. And fear is a good thing, okay? but you need to understand how to reframe it. I remember when I was a kid and this is one of those funny moments and I've got an I've got a back up to this story that is just going to make you wait yourself. Um I remember as a kid when I was a bricklayer with my at the time girlfriend I took her to the Mecca of all men's movies point break. Now I'm in East London fast forward to where I live now. I drive down the same streets where that movie was actually made and go to the same taco bar where that movie was shot. But at that time, the movie went through, and there's a scene where they grab Johnny Utah and they're gonna make him raid a bank. And it's Patrick Swayze who's Bode Cipher, Bodie. And Bodie turns around to Johnny Utah in the back of the truck because they said he says he's scared. And he says, hesitation, a fear causes hesitation and hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true now i remember that being said in the in the movie house i can even tell you what movie house it was i never remembered the rest of the movie i literally had to go back a couple of days later to watch the rest of the movie because i was so in awe of that it's not the fear it's the hesitation And I remember when I used to do kickboxing and you get a punch in the head. It's not like Hollywood. You don't go flying through the bloody window, you know? And so you you always realize that the fear isn't usually as large as what you've given it credit for. And then there's the other side of it that says, hang on. Yes, I'm scared, but what could possibly go wrong? I'll tell you what could go wrong. I could not try and remain here. Mm. And Joe Polish actually said to me years ago, coined it up best. He said, the definition of hell is to meet the man or woman that you could have been. Now, you only could have been that person if you try. I'll go around a corner. I'll get it wrong. I'll go off into the gravel. Hopefully, I won't go flat side. Sometimes it happens. You know, you, you, you're you boxing someone. Someone gets a, a, a smack through. You go, ah. My guard needs work. This is all education. Mm -hmm. And so when you get back on it, you go, okay, I lost it at that corner. Oh, I got an uppercut here. I've got to keep my elbow in here. That's the education. So for me, it's not the fear in trying. It's the fear of not. Now, here's my little backup thing that will make you pee yourself. I was at a VIP uh, bike. Thankfully, because of my my branding and stuff like that, everyone knows I'm heavily into motorcycles. So I get some pretty cool little things that I get involved in within different motorcycle companies. I had a VIP um, race day the other day at a track called Chuck Waller in Palm Springs. The guy sat next to me at the barbecue the night before, Keanu Reeves.
0: Yeah, I saw that <laughs> clip on your Instagram of him riding his bike. At the yeah, Chetney. so...
1: I actually told him about it and it was just hysterical that, you know, years I went from being a, a bricklayer in London mm-hmm. years later, I'm actually sat next to the guy that was in the movie that actually caused me to water my mindset, funny little turn of events.
0: That's hilarious. And, um, have you, have you ridden his bike? The company the that he found? Yeah, yeah. The arch. Yeah. 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 How is yeah. it? It's, uh,
1: it's a, it's startling for a start. Um, because I've also got a bunch of Harleys. Um, and you look at it and you go, oh, it's a Harley. It ain't. Mm. Uh, it's a real light, talky, twisty. It's an incredible machine. Now, if you're going to go on a racetrack, I'm happier racing my Ducatis than the Arch. Um, and in fact, the, you know, the Arches can go up to over $100,000. So mm. I'm definitely happier riding my Ducatis. But um, <laughs> it's it's not, it shouldn't be confused with a Harley-Davidson. It's it's way much more of a complicated technical bike than that.
0: Is it a four valve head on the arch or is it a it's an push S rod? yeah, it's an S and S V two. Okay. Um actually let's stay on bikes for a bit because I got a whole bunch of notes here. It's, you know, since we're on it. So I packed in riding bikes around 30. I'm 48 now, right? And I've moved to supercars. Um I still like bikes, so like I have this itch that I want to scratch, if you know what I'm saying. It never really went away. I kind of started riding bikes when I was 18. What Now, the last bike I had was a ZX7R Ninja, uh, 99, I think it was. One of the carburetor ones was the year. Loved it to bits, did everything I could ever ask of it. Um, The thing I notice about a lot of bikes today, you know, when I look at them, is they're missing fairings. Everything seems to either go in the way of an ugly Japanese bike or a Ducati with, with a fairing or it doesn't have a fairing. I like the wind protection when I'm on the highway. What's your recommendation? I mean, is there a Ducati that you like? I know that you're a big duck guy.
1: So I got seven so um I would probably say yes um my oldest one's a 1985 melee and my newest one is a V4r um, superbike um so you know I, I go through different things. I would say that before you answer that question the first thing you need to know or the first thing you need to ask yourself is what is the experience you're trying to generate mm-hmm. okay. it's on the station of speed, you can go for an older, unfair bike and you'll feel as though you're going faster. Like you say about supercars, all right? Mm-hmm. So if you're in a Ferrari, and I, I work for Ferrari, and you go around a racetrack and you're doing 170 mile an hour in a Ferrari, and it, it's cool. It's really, really good. But then you go around a corner in a shifter car at 30 mile an hour. I've done that too. And you're shitting your bits, okay? Yeah. The reason is because you don't have the roll cage you don't have the protection mm. you don't have uh, a roof um you don't have the, the 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 pleasure of all of that kind of cocoon you're now fully immersed that's one of the things about motorcycles especially with racetracks being out in the country you'll literally go around a corner and there'll be uh like a i don't know some daisies in the field which you'll suddenly be able to smell because you've just got the helmet on you'll waft through this scent of like fresh cut corn or something. Now, you don't get that experience. So if you want the sensation of speed, go for something older with no fairing. If you want to go around a track fast, then get the fairing, and you'll still get the sensation because, hey, it's still only a piece of plastic, but you'll be able to go faster on it. There's a lot of bikes that are naked now because, quite simply, my V4R, the Speedo clicks off at 180 it doesn't register above that because above that you shouldn't be looking at the freaking speedo. Mm-hmm. So literally it just stops. Um, and if you look at race bikes like mine, it has a tachometer. It doesn't have a speedo engaged mm-hmm. when you've it it's on. Irrelevant on a track. Yeah. It's totally irrelevant. So, but I've, I've been on, I've been on my bike and I've done like 180, 170 and it's, it's brilliant. And then I've been on naked, what they call nakeds and street fighters and those kind of things, doing 50 mile an hour slower. And I'm immersed in more experience. I've got more wind on my chest. It's like going down the road, looking out your front window mm-hmm. at 80 mile an hour and then rolling all the windows down and looking at the grass next to you. It's ground rush.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have to ride on both then. All right, let's, oh, here, I got a, I got a super chat here from Igor, and he's saying, how important is storytelling for your business? And I can answer that, and I want to hear Steve too as well. But the reason why you're watching right now is because he's a phenomenal storyteller. Would you agree? I
1: have to. Today, it's all about to. the story. It's it all
0: about the why.
1: You don't need to have a story that, that, you know, includes Richard Branson or Ferrari or Elon Musk. You don't need that. Your story could be your rags to riches. It could be why you did this. Most entrepreneurs are in business Because they started off pissed off. They started off aggravated. Elon Musk openly says, I couldn't understand why it took five days for me to transfer money from one US account to another US account. It's not like someone turned up at five o'clock that night with a handbag of of cash and Mm -hmm. ran it across. They literally, it was no more than like a sequence of, it was an email. Mm -hmm. He couldn't understand it. So to cure his aggravation, he built PayPal. That was his story. That was his why. So Igor He's built an yeah. entire
0: rocket company just because he wants to go to Mars.
1: There you go. Entrepreneurs <laughs> solve their problems and then find other people that have the same problem and invoice them for it. It's as That's, simple as that. So yeah, put Igor storytelling. It's a big, big thing.
0: Yeah, I was. You know, I was looking at some data because I'm just finishing up the details of a course that I'm working on. And one of the things that I came across was that I think it was, was it, uh, I think it was Simon Sinek uh, that said something along the lines of the reason why people buy from someone is because of their story. I mean, so the reason why somebody will choose going to the corner to buy a lemonade from a kid behind the stand versus the vending machine is because the kid has a story. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. They want branding. And this is where we're getting to this dive. Um, and I said to you earlier, we ended up launching a branding company, um, purely based on this. Um, the reason is everyone today, and you can look at it why do people buy an Apple computer instead of a PC because they feel as though it makes them cooler when you buy a Mac over a PC? Why do you fly to England on British Airways or Virgin British Airways? You want to pretend you're royal. Virgin, you want to think you're cool, like Richard Branson. There's a story and a brand behind absolutely everything today. And if you don't have one, then you become vanilla, and you're just a transaction, and Amazon's already put you out of business. You just don't know about it yet.
0: That's a good point. Speaking of royalty, (coughs) um, you had a podcast or video somewhere that I came across once. title of it was How the Monarchy Got Branding Run Wrong. Can you talk about your position on the monarchy and their branding? Yes, yeah, so they ha- <laughs> Yeah, so
1: I say what I think, and quite often, you know, it, it just it just comes out. There was all of this, uh, and this was when Megan was uh, um, in England, and there was all of this kind of talk about race, and and she left, and she did the Oprah thing. Now, do I think all of that media was handled well? No. Could it have been done better? Hey, we can always quarterback from our armchair, um, but you know, they did what they did at the time. The monarchy, it it moves at the speed of a snail. It now had the opportunity with a young international black lady to actually be within the royal family. This was like the trifecta of Mm call. It would have brought the monarchy up to the modern day. And they decided that she didn't fit in with them. She needed to change rather than they need to change to her. And there's a lot of companies out there that refuse to change on the times because, Mm. hey, that's how we've always done it. And so it just kind of annoyed me that something as big as the monarchy could shit on a phenomenal opportunity like that. And again, I know I'm being very materialistic about it, but I did a video on how how I think the monarchy screwed up probably one of the best branding opportunities they've ever had.
0: They've always seemed to do it with um, you know, relationships over time. I mean, even Princess Diana was almost shunned from the family. I mean, she was shunned from the family, huh?
1: She was. She was yeah. absolutely shunned from the family because she she didn't fit in. The, the truck and the look. I'm I mean, British, I mean, so they've I always found this,
0: but... found ways not to let them fit in, right? I mean, like even um, who was the king that uh let go of the throne because he was married to an American divorced Simpson? Actress? Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, uh, Edward Simpson. Yeah. 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 The, the the trouble is. If you want to look at a very restrictive, closed-minded society, and I can say this because I am one of them, look at the British. We loved we love the underdog story, mm-hmm. but we love to get them up high enough on a pedestal to then be able to knock them off. And bearing in mind the class was invented by the UK. I remember when I would throw events, I would literally get these, these poor girls but their, their, their fathers were lords or duchess, duke, and, and they'd be like, oh, don't you know who I am? I went to summer so, school. Look at Giselle Maxwell at the moment. Broke. Her husband, he either committed suicide or killed, but, you know, was a shady little guy, very, very wealthy, lost everything, but because of who she was and the social network she had, she was able to continue in them. The British upper... um hypocrisy and upper-class society is one that just can't be replicated anywhere else in the planet and mm-hmm. that's probably a good reason why i don't actually live there
0: mm. um you've kind of alluded to that you're very opinionated i mean you're loud you're does that get in get you into trouble today like i like i've i've caught a very strong feeling about a lot of silicon valley and tech guys and even entrepreneurs that lean very far left and it's like if you express an opinion like for example let's use the will smith slap you know from the other day because i know uh-huh. that you you know do some work you know with the academy and yep. setting up parties and stuff like that what was your view of the will smith slap
1: stupidity Absolutely. on rock's Rade part or on smith's part um smith 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 100 yeah look at it ellen tina fay uh, Ricky Gervais, for Christ's sake, have you ever watched any of his monologues for like the Golden Globes and the th- what Chris Rock did? It was a was pretty a mild li- joke. It was, it was a very mild joke, yeah. okay? And Jada, let's be blunt, she looked absolutely fantastic with her hair. She's got a beautiful face, okay? And they are actors and actresses, for Christ's sake. They live for attention, and Chris gave it to them, okay? Okay? And what did, what did Will do? Will is probably one of the nicest guys out there. I will say that.
0: You know him personally?
1: I, I've worked with him a couple of times. But the way he he markets and brands himself, he's always branded as one of the nicest guys out there. He's always funny. Now, that's a, a lot of that is an act because a lot of the time mm. you don't want to be fun and friendly. It's bloody work. But he does a fantastic job at it. And now he's just shit on his good guy image. So part of me thinks, Will, stupid. The other part of me thinks, damn, what happened, man? For that split second, you lost it. You lost control and you did something stupid. And of course, we're now seeing the backlash and we're now seeing the, oh, the apologies and all these kind of stuff. Ah, That's tough.
0: That's tough to wear. So, I mean, here's my question when it comes back to the loud opinion. So, I share the same opinion as you, right? But, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that uh, gave Will Smith a standing ovation when he slapped Chris Rock for the mild joke. Um, Yeah. You know, some people have said that that was a setup because the uh, show doesn't draw eyeballs anymore and they wanted to manufacture indignation to draw attention to it. Like, how do you deal with the heat from people when you have a loud uh, vocal opinion on subject matters like this?
1: Beautiful. You don't. You see, there are three kinds of people in the planet and one of them is terrible, and they're terrible because it's your fault, okay? Mm. Line this up. Anyone out there with a pen and paper or, you know, record this or whatever, make a note of this. There are three kinds of people. There are the kind of people that absolutely love you. I guarantee you during this, this live feed that we're doing, there are people that love the way I am, my attitude, my style. They absolutely love it. They're, they're, it's brilliant. I guarantee you there's also people on this feed that have probably left Going, Rich, you shouldn't have got this guy on. Can't understand Always. what he's on about. I don't like the guy. Both of those are good because they saved me the effort. I don't want to try and get someone that hates me into my corner. And I don't want that. Here's the third people, the fence sitters. Those people that are sitting on the fence going, I'm not sure about this guy. You know, what's he trying to say? You know, I don't know what he stands for. Mm, I'm confused about this guy. Those are the fence sitters. Those are the worst people in the planet. And nine times out of 10, you've created them. Now, if I'm out there and I'm saying shit about something, or if I'm talking about branding, or if I'm talking about speaking engagements, or I'm talking about, you know, my opinion on the Will Smith slap, or the, 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 the British Empire screwing up a marketing opportunity. If I'm saying that, It allows those fence sitters to go, oh, I agree with him or, oh my God, I hate him. And I want to be able to push those people off onto one side or the other. I don't want to take any effort in trying to be someone I'm not. My effort is there to be able to work with the people that I choose to work with to be able to solve your problem. It's never going to be on how I come across. Oh, I've got to dilute this. Oh, I've got to be a bit careful. I'm not selling hamburgers. I'm not a mass market product, so I don't care.
0: Have you? Have they tried to cancel you for anything? Like, have they come at you for anything?
1: Every now and then, I'll say something, and and I run events, and every now and then, I'll get I'll get something because I may have you know said uh, said the wrong word or two or ten. Um, but no, because no one's ever really tried to attack me. Actually, let me rephrase that. I've not recognized those people trying to attack me because if you ever noticed, it was funny because doing the kind of things I was doing and, and the concierge industry, I was always working with incredibly affluent people. And I would get a lot of hate mail going, How do you sleep at night? You know, and oh, you're dealing with these people and you should be putting your attention to charities and you should be doing this and stuff. Those people will never be my clients. Mm-hmm. Those people will never work with me. Therefore, I can't hear you. You know. (laughs) Now, if if you've got Jean-Paul de Jour or Elon Musk, turn around, going, "Hey, Sims, why are you doing that?" Yeah, I'll pay attention. Now you're listening. Now I'm listening. I I've been saying that for years. Source first.
0: Yeah, always, always consider the source of the criticism. Yeah. Yep. Um, Now to kind of to kind of challenge you on that um, three types of people that you just mentioned. I have a note here about. Um, how, how you've mentioned that you should focus on your unsubscribers, which are essentially your detractors. And previously, you know, you just said, I can't hear them. They don't matter to me. They're never going to be my customers. So can you kind of explain what you mean about focusing on your unsubscribers?
1: Yeah. So what I've done is, uh, it, it started off just as a, just as a test, really, you know, um, I would, again, I get a lot of people that I do coaching and branding with, but every now and then I'd get people say something and then unsubscribe or cancel me or walk away. But they've made a comment. They vocalized it. The first thing I would do, I would look at the source, you know? And if you find out that you're getting shit on from a 15 year old from the Philippines, you don't care. But if it's a business owner and if, if Mitch Cooper is actually saying something that he doesn't agree and Steve, you're way off track and you're out, then I want to come to you and I'm like, Mitch, I saw that it it, it triggered you so much that not only did you vocalize, you moved off, you unsubscribed. I've got nothing to gain from this other than the education of understanding why I would love to understand your perspective.
0: Mm.
1: Now, no one ever goes for those people. No one ever talks to the unsubscribers. No one ever talks to the haters. They always say, oh, you know, you've got to be so successful, you get haters, and you should leave it alone. I can't. I absolutely love to get into that. Mm. And so you would be surprised. And I I don't know the exact figure, but I would say a good 30% of my coaching and branding clients came from people that argued about my methods or my positioning or my style that then came back to me once we had that conversation.
0: And they said, you're right.
1: Yeah. You see mm. what you do, any relationship you want – have to have a trigger now when you see your mate that tells good jokes you see him walk down the street you're enlightened to see him because you know that during the conversation with him he's going to say something funny and entertain you Mm. and you see someone else and you hate them you don't want to be anywhere near them you want to create a trigger now if you can take that trigger and convert it into a positive one and nine times out of ten miscommunication now you said about have i ever been cancelled have i ever been attacked All the time. And I made a flippant statement, which I shouldn't have said. I said to you that I don't get cancelled because I don't care. I care enough to care about who I am and what I say. And that will attract those people that can see. I may get it wrong. But if I want to come to you and go, hey, why do you think that? You know, what have I said that's triggered you? What was it that you disagreed with? And the amount of times that I've actually spoken to people and I've gone, you know, you're right. You're right. I'm wrong. And I've actually done a re-edit. I've gone back and gone. I, I spoke to Johnny. And he spoke, Gee, brought my attention to this. I want to become educated. And that, again, is down to that growth of being the dumbest person in the room mm-hmm. and constantly be prepared to get educated. But first of all, where's the source?
0: So... There's going to be people watching this right now, being like, "This guy can't get you down to the Titanic. How does he get you on the stage of, you know, with a rock band? Can he? Can he really, really seat you at the foot of Michelangelo's David and you know feed you dinner while being serenaded by a Italian opera singer? So, how do you do all those things? You know, I mean, like from a guy that came from East <laughs> London, ended up in Hong Kong, landed in the United States somehow. Like, how do you do all those things? I dared to ask. And and this that's a ridiculous
1: off the cuff statement.
0: Just like come up with batshit crazy ideas and say, Hey, I wanna yeah. you know, so, you contact the company that like does the I don't know, the surveying of the Titanic and say, I've got a wealthy client that wants to see the uh shipwreck.
1: And what's wrong with that?
0: Nothing, I suppose. No, you see, here's how many the calls thing. did you have to make though to make that happen?
1: Uh well, again, the more people you know, the easier the calls get. Um, but I I have a process, okay. And I'm actually writing it and I can't pitch it because it's not even done yet, but I'm in the process of doing my second book and I'm calling it go for stupid Mm -hmm. because you see what I do is every time I plan a goal, I go for one that's so ridiculous that you're going to laugh at it. I don't go for impossible goals because you've already stated it's a hurdle. You've already stated a resistance. I go for the ridiculous, the sublime and the stupid. And you mentioned the dinner. I had a client of mine that said, I want to have a great dining experience in Florence that you can only do in Florence. Mm -hmm. So look at Florida. If you're in Paris, where would you, where would you be for the entire planet to know that you're in Paris? Eiffel Tower. Eiffel Tower. Yeah. If you're in England, Buckingham Palace or something in Florence you've got to be careful because like the Uffizi, could be confused. And that's the big art gallery could be confused with like Amsterdam or Poland or again, Paris, mm-hmm. but the Academia de Galleria is the only museum in the planet outside of Rome that has any work of Michelangelo's David and the world's most iconic statue. It's not the Statue of Liberty. It is uh, Michelangelo's David. Mm-hmm. And that's housed in this gallery. So my stupid goal was: if you're going to have the most incredible meal in, in Florence, at the feet of Michelangelo's David in the museum, to your a whole Thomas Crown kind of experience. And I asked, "Is there a picture I, of it? If
0: I Google it online, so I can just throw it up on the screen."
1: There, are, uh, I don't, I don't know if, if there is actually, there. Um, but uh, I know I've got, to, and I don't even know if I can uh, text it to. Actually, I'm, I'm, I know that we've been conversing through um uh through let me do this I'll, i don't want to take too long doing this but i literally dared to go into people and ask them if it could be done and nine times out of ten the weird 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 thing happened oh
0: hang on here it is i found it oh you found it yeah there's something online uh i can share it on the screen hold up window just make sure you got the right one that's it yeah
1: that's it yep so I literally.
0: So you can see do the table the- right in front of it looks like there's four seats or six seats
1: There's actually six seats. Uh, You can just make out the little brown seats. There were actually six seats that we set up. Um, And that's it. I actually did uh, an entire um, table uh, for six people at the feet of Michelangelo's David. Shut the museum down from 3 o'clock in the afternoon until 2 o'clock in the morning. And then like all entrepreneurs, once we've got the green light for everything and everything's set... That's usually when we try to see if we can fuck it up a bit. So I was like, okay. And literally it was a Sunday that I was asked to do this. The dinner was on a Wednesday. And by Monday night, I had the academia and the chef all sorted and approved. Mm -hmm. And so I had Tuesday. I had an entire day going, what else could I do? How could I make this shit a little bit cooler? And I was working with Elton John at the time. And I said, who's the most famous Italian singer? And they went, well, Andrea Bocelli. And I was like, of course it is. Can you get me in touch with him? Because I'd love him to come and sing at my client's dinner party. Mm -hmm. And they did. They actually made the introduction. And I got Andrea Bocelli to come and serenade my clients um, at uh, the the defeat of uh, Michelangelo's David. And I mean, like, you're the
0: absolute real deal. I mean, you're here with John Travolta. I see you here with Elon Musk. Um, you've rubbed shoulders with quite a few people. This is your book over here, by the way, too, guys. It's called Bluefish and You Should Grab It. The audio book's great. Uh Steve reads it. So I mean you can listen to his crazy voice, uh, you know, singing the lyrics to you as you kind of go through it. But uh yeah, there's there's loads online on you know the stuff that you've done, the rock star stories. I mean uh so let me pose this this question to you. Let's say I wanted to play a game of chess with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, how would I how would I go about arranging that? Blue all
1: fishing right, that. So, all right. So let, we'll work on exactly that. Okay? okay. You, all right. So, Rich, I'm going to play a game with you. Okay. That I, I hopefully get you in the right the mindset for this. Are you with me or did we freeze? Are you there?
0: I'm with you. I'm with all you. All right. Yeah, okay.
1: So, Rich, I'm having a barbecue party this Saturday at my home. Okay. Um, and you're in town and I ask you if you want to come, and you say yes. What's the first question you ask me? What can I bring? Bingo. I actually challenge anyone listening to this to play this game with other people. You'll get things like, uh, where is it? What should I wear? Who's going to be there? How Mm long does it go on for? All of those answers satisfy you. They don't help me. The one question a host wants is how you can help me. What can you bring to my barbecue? Now, right. you want to go and have a game of chess with Arnold Schwarzenegger. What can you bring to the party? Chessboard. Really? That's gonna that's gonna excite Arnold Schwarzenegger?
0: I don't know. Um, box of cigars, a Hummer.
1: All right, now we're getting there. Now you now we're getting there. Whenever you want to get hold of someone, you've got to make them want you to get what you want. So if, for argument's sake, like, I know for argument's sake, Arnold Schwarzenegger does a lot of stuff with children, uh, health, uh, small business now. He does a lot within that. So he's got a lot of uh, philanthropic endeavors, loves, passions. Mm -hmm. How about if you went to him and go, hey, I have always, always, always wanted to play chess with you. I've got a platform. I would love to make a donation to your charity, and I would like to talk about your uh, latest project on my podcast to my program so that I could actually get more distribution, which in essence would raise more funds, which would benefit you. Mm-hmm. It, would that, and here's the key would this benefit you? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, it's all about him. Mm-hmm. Now you strike those chords enough and they're going to go, Yes. And then you go, Well, great. All we got to do is play a game of chess.
0: That's actually. I knew that. I didn't, I didn't see the dots connected that way. I really like how you it's break very that down. I mean, you've break down. you got a knack for it. And I've heard you say, uh, talk about stuff that you get in your DMS and messages, and you touched on something that's really important. Almost. I get a couple of dozen DMS every day on Instagram, right? It's guys like, I watch your videos. Can I pick your brain? Here's my problem in life. And it's like, Whenever I hear somebody say, can I pick your brain? I automatically hear, can I can I steal your time and, and pick your wallet? Because they're not coming at me with value. So you, you essentially distilled what I already know, but with a system of sequences because of how this guy operates. Brilliant. I love it.
1: Well, the, the bottom line of it is I'm 56. I'm not getting any younger or any prettier. Okay? So my whole pod, people will say to me, hey, you free to talk for 10 minutes? Literally on my website, I have... 30 minutes, 750 bucks, and we'll talk about anything you want. Mm-hmm. And so i literally say, no, I'm not free for 10 minutes. I'm 750 for 30. Sign up here. Mm-hmm. Or people, the classic one. The How many classic. people buy it? We probably get. uh like 1%? We, no, we limit oh, percentage-wise, but we get about six calls a month mm-hmm. um, after we've kind of like vetted it a bit. Um but, yeah, some people, some people do show up. It depends how important it is to you to have me answer your, your goals. But I'm just stunned with how many people that don't focus on the benefit of the recipient right. in that conversation.
0: Bring some value to the table first.
1: Every, it's as simple as that. What am I bringing to the party? I'm, yeah. I know I'm being on your podcast. I haven't got any hair products to sell. So I know I have to bring value, hopefully bring nuggets that are going to get people come off this call and go, hang on a minute. That was very simple, stupid shit to do. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to be more impactful, and that's all I want.
0: Um, you've got ten minutes left, I know, before you got to run. I-, I wanted to ask you because um, there's not a lot of people that I see in, in successful long-term relationships with their uh, spouses. You said you've been married for close to forty years now.
1: Yeah, 30- thirty-seven this year, I think.
0: What's the uh, what would you attribute to the to the success of that marriage?
1: Well, if I'd have been drinking, I'd probably say a huge knob. But because well, this is a... Would a, you call it a, a successful
0: marriage first? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I have to ask before. Okay, so what yeah, would you no, attribute th- to the success of it then?
1: Um, I would probably say...
0: Life from being a knob. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I would probably say it's the fact that I've never settled. You know? um, And this is an entrepreneurial trait. The nine times out of ten can cancel the hell out of a relationship and kill it. And you know, you, you no good. You, yeah. you, you up your game every time. Yeah. And you look at your relationships and your relationships have not always upped themselves. So you upgrade your house, you upgrade from economy to business, to first class, you upgrade your home from your house to your pen. Now, you're constantly upgrading, even the circle of friends you keep. Mm-hmm. But then you look at your loved one and you're like, eh, met her 10 years ago. Ah, she, you know, that, that, I need to upgrade. With Claire, my wife, she also upgrades, and she's like, I need someone that's gonna can like be willing to get up at four o'clock in the morning for the family. I need to be with someone that's gonna want to do that, and so she constantly pushes me, I constantly push her, and we end up in in, in circles and in sand pits that we've upped together, and we recognize our strengths and we ignore weaknesses person to look after that so i would say that it's teamwork and unsettling just because you married someone and you love them that's not good enough today Mm. you know i'm with my i'm with claire i'm with my woman because she's the most powerful beautiful compelling scary as shit person i know in the planet to trigger me in left right and center so she's just the absolute one
0: I wish I could take my mouse and kind of scroll back about 30 seconds to recapture exactly what you said, but you said something like never settling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've often told guys, because I mean, one of the areas that I'm recognized for, I know that you don't follow me on much of my stuff, but um, I help guys figure out women and I help them, you know, figure out relationships. And I've often said that you like, as a guy, you cannot relax in life. Okay. Like you have to check, you have to chase excellence. If you want to deal in a long-term relationship or expose yourself to a marriage and the potential risks of family law and losing half your shit, I mean, you live in one of the most hostile states in the world in California. You've yeah. got to be on your grind, right? Like you've got to be on your purpose. You've got to chase excellence. You can't relax, sit back, you know, rip open a bag of Cheetos and sit back and watch sports seven days a week. It's not going to work out. She's going to leave on you at some point. Yeah.
1: Oh, very, very quick. But you see, the trouble is you've, you've actually attacked one of the biggest cornerstones Or the biggest foundations of a man's life is is his relationship. Okay. It is. You can actually, absolutely. I found that to make sure that my relationship was strong, I had to not settle for anything, even including the small stuff. Like I love an old fashioned, and -hmm. an old fashioned is only bloody three ingredients. It ain't that hard to make, but you'll be amazed at how many times people screw it up. My family will know. My friends know that if the, if I get a, a glass, an old-fashioned, and it's got a, a freaking great wedge in there, like an orange wedge, mm-hmm. it automatically goes back. I won't mm-hmm. even sip it. Excuse me, that's not an old-fashioned. I won't even settle if it doesn't have a large ice cube. If a burger comes to me and the fries are slightly cool, I'll be like, don't overheat those. I need a fresh plate done. From my food, my drink. My coffee, anything, I don't settle. And by not settling, it raises my standards all the time and then makes other people raise their standards to meet mine. And then when I look at my relationship, I'm going, hang on a minute. I will send a drink back because it's got too much fruit in it. Therefore, I'm going to make sure I hold you accountable to the same standards.
0: I love it. It's it's profound, You man. don't I mean, have to go you- big. You yeah. don't
1: have to go big. If yeah. you've got a if you've got a pen on your desk and the end is chewed up and it's dirty and disgusting and you don't care about it, what else aren't you going to care about? Mm. And that's just a bloody bick. So mm. raise your standards from the smallest, cheapest, nastiest, tiniest little insignificant things, and you'll find that all of the more important attributes will change in, in accordance.
0: That there, Steve, is a chapter in your next book. Whoop, whoop. Um, so to wrap up real quick, because I know you've got to run for your next uh session, um, who should follow you? Who shouldn't follow you? Where should they follow you? Um, so is the first thing: man marketing and branding 101.
1: I am Steve D. Sims everywhere. I've got a free Facebook group called an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims, it's free. I do a lot of videos in there, but if you just visit stevedsims.com. You can find out about the book, my course, my speakeasy event. You can find out everything or just Google Steve D. Sims or wherever you enjoy your media, whether it be TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Tinder, wherever, just look up Steve D. Sims.
0: And what are you most excited about that you're working on today?
1: So I actually launched a company just over a year ago with my son, um, Sims.media. It's literally a branding and marketing firm in that order. And we teach people how to speak, how to get attention, how to get on podcasts, how to promote that company, that brand. That's really exciting because it's with my son. And so I'm really enjoying that.
0: That's awesome. Steve, I want to thank you for uh, hopping on this podcast with me and sharing some of your wisdom. Um, Guys, check him out. I'll, um, I'll make sure that I link to his website below in the description and uh, give this a thumbs up. And if you have anything else, just chuck it in the comments and we'll catch up with it later. Um, Steve, I'll let you go. I'm gonna run an outro reel here just for three minutes to pace. Appreciate bills. it. I'll Look after yourself. Thank Thanks, you, bye. bye. This episode is brought to you by The Unplugged Alpha Supplement Line, Grandyke Soap Company, and Chad's Face Scrub. Brothers, if you're like me and you take what you put in your body seriously, you'll wanna use The Unplugged Alpha Supplement Line. An obsession with absorption is what sets this line apart from the others. You want to make sure you absorb as much of the supplements as possible so you don't end up peeing out expensive urine. My supplement line is made in the United States from the highest quality domestic ingredients, and unlike cheap supplements from China and plastic bottles, mine ship in dark glass bottles to keep your supplements fresher, longer, and won't seep endocrine-disrupting plastics in your supplements. Nothing is a hard tablet. Everything is an easily digested bioavailable capsule. You can filter all products by their various categories, including testosterone support, estrogen metabolism, fat burning, immune health, sleep support, and performance. Visit theunpluggedalpha.com forward slash shop and use the subscribe and save option to get 10% off your supplement orders, or just use coupon code alpha10 for 10% off a one-time order to try it out. Men, I use tactical soap and God of War beard oil every day. Tactical soap is a handmade product made in the United States from ingredients you can actually pronounce, not conventional endocrine-lowering toiletry chemicals. Both the soap and beard oils are infused with bioidentical pheromones that are designed by a clinical psychologist and pheromone expert to maximize attractiveness to the opposite sex. Visit coopersoap.com and get 10% off your order today. Gentlemen, my go-to face scrub to keep this manly face clean and clear is Chad's. Again, it's incredibly important to me to only use products with all natural ingredients without nasty chemicals that disrupt male hormone levels or convert to estrogen in your body. And unlike watery scrubs that slip between your fingers, this thick face scrub with black lava sand gives you powerful results in one go. Visit getchads.com and you'll be redirected to the Amazon store. You'll get 10% off when you use coupon code getchads10. You can find all the links I've just mentioned pinned below in the top YouTube comment. If you want to learn more about why I endorse these natural products to my audience search on my YouTube channel for an episode I did with dr. Anthony J titled playing to win number 21 how estrogenics make you fat sick and infertile with dr. Anthony J let's get on with the show guys I want to thank you for watching that was a blast see you guys the next episode